Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. I'll never forget the first time I went to San Francisco's Mission District for Dia de los Muertos. Thousands of people packed the streets. The sounds of drums and brass filled the air. People paraded by carrying flowers or candles. Some wore skeletal Katrina makeup. A few even walked on stilts. And the dancing. Everywhere you'd look, dance troops would unfurl these routines with a certain carefree precision that made it all look so effortless. Oh, and I can't forget the art. Homemade signs, puppets, costumes, altars, you name it, creativity was everywhere. Via de los Muertos and the Mission is such an incredible expression of Latino culture and community, and it feels as if this neighborhood has always been like this. But as we'll learn today, not the case. The story of how the mission grew to be the heart of the Latino community in San Francisco, despite the city's efforts to stop it, well, that's an interesting tale. And it's what we're talking about today on Bay Curious. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Stay tuned. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. The Mission District is one of San Francisco's most famed neighborhoods, and one of its oldest. It's lived a lot of lives, from the Yalamu people to the Spanish missionaries, and then waves of European immigrants. 
So then how did it become the center for the Latino community? Bay Curious intern Sebastian Minibuccelli tells us the story. Today, San Francisco's Mission District would be considered a barrio. That's Spanish for neighborhood. But it's also a place where a majority of residents are first-generation Spanish-speaking immigrant families. Now, the full story of how it came to be could fill a whole semester of a college class. And I know, because I just took one at Estes State. But I want to focus on three pivotal points in time. When Latinx people arrived in San Francisco, when they really started to move to the Mission neighborhood, and when the identity of the neighborhood really changed. Like so many stories in San Francisco history, this one starts in 1849, during the gold rush. The news about the gold rush spread all over the world, and people with mining experience came looking for a shot at fortune. We have the Chileans that were miners, the Peruvians who also had experience with mining arrived, uh, and we begin to see Central Americans and people from Mexico arriving. That's Professor Carlos B. Cordova. He just recently retired from Estes State, where he taught in the Latino-Latina Studies Department. He's also a founding member of the Mission Cultural Center. Profe Cordova said that people living in Central and South American port cities started hopping on ships bound for San Francisco in search of employment, opportunity, and gold. When they arrived, many found homes near present-day North Beach, along Broadway. That's what they, people will call the Latin Quarter because there were many people who were from Mexico, that were from Spain, others that were uh, Basque. And that was really the hub where people in the community would do their economic business. Coming to new land, many Catholic Latinx people would need to find a church, and they would find that in North Beach. You find that there was also the Basilica or the Church of Our Lady of Guadalupe. In the name of the Padre, the Hijo, And that was the only place where you would really find Spanish-speaking Catholic Mass being officiated on during the week, on Sundays especially. As the gold rush was ending in the 1860s, people stopped arriving with dreams of striking a rich in the gold fields. But they started to come here for something else. New industry jobs in San Francisco. There was the Potrero district is known as Potrero because that's uh, uh, basically a word in Spanish that means the place where you keep the horses and other animals, cattle, uh, things like this. Um, And there were many slaughterhouses in that area. Tanneries and shoe factories opened up in the Potrero district too. A lot of Latinx residents living in the Latin Quarter got jobs at the slaughterhouses and factories and moved to Potrero. You got to remember... Around this time, there weren't transportation services like Muni or BART, so a factory worker would have to walk to and from work. And you wouldn't want to walk more than 30 minutes. Factories and breweries were also popping up around the waterfront, down where the Giant Stadium is today. There was also the coffee companies that were bringing coffee from Central America and Mexico, uh, and they were actually employing many people from Latin America uh, in those areas. So now you have Latinx people in the Latin Quarter around Pachero, and also in Rincon Hill. Other industrial plants started to emerge in the Mission District too, one in particular focused on garments. And you might know this one. Again, one of the oldest companies here in San Francisco was uh, Levi Strauss. And many Latinas, African-Americans, and Asian women actually worked there as seamstresses. They would sew pockets, the iconic red tag, and other parts of the Levi jeans. Even though Latinx people were employed at the Levi Strauss factory in the Mission, they didn't live in the neighborhood much yet. 
Most homes were owned by people from other ethnic groups. The mission was really, especially 24th Street, was definitely an Irish neighborhood. Russians and Italians live in the neighborhood too. But initially, there weren't that many Latinx folk. That started to change during the Great Depression, around the 1930s. A lot of the area in the Rincon District was closed off to make room for the Bay Bridge. That displaced the community of Mexicans living there. They started to move to the Fillmore District, and eventually the Mission. The makings of the barrio had begun. A lot more Latinx folks started moving into the Mission during World War II, when three factors came to play. The first thing. The war sparked a new wave of immigration to the United States. Latinx people came for labor opportunities associated with a war effort, like working in the local shipyards. We had already the connections. People follow their relatives. These new Latinx immigrants needed places to live, and they would find some places to rent in the mission. That leads us to the second factor. After World War II, San Francisco's neighborhoods really started to change. Major housing developments sprung up like the Sunset District on the west side of the city, or Daly City to the south. These new neighborhoods lured residents who wanted big, spacious, single-family homes. But at the end of the day, these houses were redlined or only available to white families who can get a low-interest loan. Many other people that lived in the Mission decide to buy a home, very cheap, between five dollars and $7,000 at the time, uh, in the late 40s, the beginning of the 50s, uh, and they moved from the Mission. And what happens is the Irish move, and then Latinos come to the mission. The third and last factor was the construction of the Broadway Tunnel in the Latin Quarter. Remember that this area in North Beach was a place where people came to do their economic business? But when the construction of the tunnel started, this economic hub had a move. And once again, displacement was uprooting a community. As Latinx folks were moving to the mission in the 1960s, the barrio began to flourish. This is a neighborhood that would soon be the birthplace of Latin rock. There were many bands locally here that were generating this sound, uh, including Lalo, Santana. Uh, Santana used to play at Presida Park uh, for free concerts, you know, when they were the Santana Blues Band. And the food. The iconic Mission Burritos made a debut in San Francisco. But as the Mission community began to thrive, residents were already nervous about being displaced again. And they were worried for good reason. In the 1960s, the city's redevelopment agency had a thirst for urban renewal, where they would tear down so-called slums and build back something new. Black residents and other people of color in the Fillmore were pushed out of their homes and their businesses. Quite candidly, they lied to the African-American community, making them believe that they uh, would move them out and then move them back. That's Roberto Hernandez. He was born and raised in the mission and has been an activist there for decades. Though the city had promised Fillmore residents that they can move back after the neighborhood was rebuilt, it didn't work out that way. And, you know, they had some beautiful Victorian houses, you know, in, in that neighborhood. They never brought them back. Black residents either couldn't afford to move back or had moved on with their lives. Urban renewal wasn't about improving a neighborhood. It was about destroying communities of color. The Fillmore was never the same. What was interesting was that they tried to do the same thing in the mission. In the mid-60s, textile companies in the mission left for Asia or Latin America, where labor was cheaper. This exodus left empty lots and buildings in the neighborhood and made the mission district the city's next target for urban renewal. 
there was a, a master plan uh, to actually turn the Miracle Mile of Mission Street uh, into something different. That's Profe Cordova again. The city's master plan was to introduce two BART stations, build massive high-rises dedicated to housing and office spaces, and a plaza with commercial spaces on the ground floor. This urban renewal plan was a red flag to Mission residents who didn't want to see what happened in the Fillmore happen to them. So a neighborhood coalition rose up. So I was involved with the, uh, the youth committee for the Mission Coalition organization. That's Roberto again. He's a community organizer who's involved with many organizations in the mission. But for him, it all started with the fight against redevelopment in the mission. I felt like it was like Godzilla versus Bambi because the power that that redevelopment had at the time was, I mean, you know, just to come in and literally wipe out communities. Roberto grew up watching Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta organize farm workers in Delano. So he had seen the power of organizing. He attended meetings between the city and the Mission Coalition organization with his father. You know, there, there's always, you know, that, that fear that they, because of the words that they use and, you know, things you don't understand, you know what I'm saying? But I remember I asked, I would ask my dad, what do they mean? He goes, ah, don't worry. They're just throwing out big words. <laughs> the city's plan was no joke. It would have displaced local merchants residential housing, and in the long run, a community. The Mission Coalition organization came in wanting to stop these moves by City Hall, and they wanted to have a say on what went on in their neighborhood. The group was mostly made of Latinx folks, but it also included Black and Samoan residents. They needed to organize, and the way they did that was truly unique. They started Black Clubs, Community Organizing Within. So literally every block was organized um, and had a block captain. These block captains took care of the people on their block. Roberto's captain was Alfredo. He was Puerto Rican and he talked and talked and talked and he could go to his house at any time, you know, and he'd feed you. <laughs> this block by block organizing was a huge success. It brought the community together and it got everyone involved. Soon, mission residents held a convention to make decisions on big issues for the neighborhood. I mean, can you imagine 10,000 people from the mission all in one building together, you know, strategizing and voting on platforms, on issues? With the mission residents organized and ready to fight, the city scrapped a lot of their redevelopment plans. But they did still build two BART stations in the mission. Residents protested on opening day. Homes and buildings that were there on the corners of 24th and 16th were brought down to make room for the stations. But most of the homes and businesses that made up the mission stayed. It's like even more meaningful knowing what we as a community were able to stop. And unfortunately, when we look today at how it wiped out the African-American community, we would have been wiped out. The identity of the mission from the 70s and on was a hub for Latinx and new incoming immigrants. When I spoke to Profe Cordova and Roberto Hernandez, I asked them, what makes the mission the mission? It's the culture, the imagery, the vibrancy of the aromas, the food that you can have, the people. I find that um, the murals are really an important characteristic 
of the mission. Vibrant colors, uh, reflecting our heritage, our culture, a way of life. You know, I love the music and I love the culture. And, and I mean, Papel Picado on 24th Street. So I love, you know, the Senora selling flowers. I love, you know, somebody playing the guitar on the street corner. And, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses on 24th Mission. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's just so much that, that goes on. It's just ne ne never a dull moment. When I travel to the Mission District today and I walk up the stairs at a BART station, it's hard to imagine huge skyscrapers standing where you can buy street food. Seeing nothing but gray or white painted condos in a district does now splash with color. But this story isn't over. There have been numerous victories in stopping gentrification but the threat keeps coming back. For now, this barrio still stands. Orgulloso, para siempre. That was Bay Curious intern Sebastian Mino Buccelli. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing Bay Curious with a friend. Word of mouth is the number one way people discover new podcasts, so it really helps us out. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show is produced by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Sebastian Mino Buccelli, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Have a good one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 